Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, not even an early morning wake-up call to scream about basketball with you can bring me down from my jaunt through the clouds here the last couple days. I got to say, everything's been coming up, BG, Andrew. I'm really, really on a roll. I got to see Giannis absolutely dissect and destroy the poor Dallas Mavericks. Then I saw a very interesting MVP battle between Paul George and James Harden, which saw the Rockets blow a... 26-point lead, and I was getting flashbacks to Game 7 of uh, the Western Conference Finals down there in the Houston building. Then I went to this park in Galveston and saw a pink bird that was not a flamingo (laughs) in the wild. I can't even believe such a thing exists, Andrew. It's been just a real role, and I really hope you don't bring me down. No, absolutely not. Thank you for taking us into your world there for a couple days. Um, You know, one of the things I, I love about you is that for all your talk of professionalism and maturity, early morning for you is like 10 a.m. You're recording this 10 a.m. Houston time, which is not early Come morning on, for normal people, just to be clear, okay? This is, th- Look, this is doable. I, I, first of all, I'm two-hour time difference, okay? So it's 8 a.m. for my actual body okay. clock. And then second, I happen to be up and working, something that I could teach you a few things about, until like 3 a.m. local time uh, yesterday. So look, I, I sneak in the sleep when I can. You know, I like to get at least seven consecutive hours. Usually that's pretty yeah. good. I kind of pushed it today, but don't worry, I'm not whining about it. I'm glad that we got through the trade deadline. And by the way, I'm most excited about the upcoming All-Star Weekend. And I noticed a severe lack of all-star talk in your rundown for today's episode, so expect me to just loop in random all-star storylines as we go. (laughs) Please do. I I figured that we're going to have plenty of time to talk all-star storylines, but let's start with a team that we mostly ignored over the last two weeks because the rest of the NBA was busy losing its mind, Uh, but the Golden State Warriors. So a couple things to hit here. First of all, Bo asks, how did the rest of the league let the Warriors sign DeMarcus Cousins for $5 million this summer? This really annoyed me when it happened, but all of the quote-unquote smart NBA writers made it seem like it wasn't a big deal and that Boogie would be a shell of himself. This season initially felt like the first time since Kevin Durant went to Golden State that there was a non-zero chance of another team competing for a title. But now Boogie is back, he looks pretty good, and it's all over for everyone else. Am I missing something? What do you think, Ben? Well, before we dig into that, the Golden State Warriors at the trade deadline are like Mark Zuckerberg dressing himself. You know, everyone loves to like make these big moves and sort of like, look at this trade that we did. We got Tobias Harris. We're so excited. It's like people buying Gucci or Louis Vuitton clothes to like flaunt their wealth. Meanwhile, Golden State's like Zuckerberg. We're just going to wear a gray sweatshirt and jeans. We don't even need to bother with the trade deadline. We don't need to try to upgrade our roster. We're already as good as it gets. We're the NBA's one percenters. You guys can go ahead and make your little midseason moves, your cute little deals, and we're just going to keep rolling along. That's a good point, and I understand exactly what you mean, Uh, but my reaction to that analogy is that I wonder whether people in the Bay Area 
are as tired of Silicon Valley analogies as I am of like political <laughs> Deal puns <with> it. <laughs> for the Wizards because Deal it with is, it. it's low hanging fruit. But again, it's it's pretty apt for the Warriors. You know, they are kind of like the Zuckerbergs of the NBA, uh, quietly ruining everything. But um, what do you think of the actual team and what what you've seen from Boogie? I just kind of I wrote about him in this week's magazine, and I'm curious for your impressions. Well, that was really good product placement. I'm first of all, that's my first impression is I'm impressed at how well you've orchestrated this entire podcast around what you're writing. <laughs> no, we've got uh, we've se- got your <laughs> section coming up. Don't worry about it. We're gonna hit all our beats. Okay, my second my second impression is Bo. You got to read smarter writers. Smarten up, man. Smarten up, Nas. Um, <laughs> I remember distinctly writing at the time that the Cousins move was basically a death blow for the whole season. That it was a perfect fit. That they were they were going to be able to bring him along. Uh, at exactly the right pace that he's going to have all the motivation in the world to buy in Um, and that when you put their group together they can go big they can go small they match up with everybody and it's just going to create more space for not only their stars but also their shooters like clay thompson and that's basically how it played out Um, i still think the biggest differentiating factor come playoff time is going to be the chemistry aspect. I mean, these guys have played a lot of basketball together. They can run their offense in their sleep. They know every counter. And I think if you're trying to talk yourself into, you know, Milwaukee making the leap from, you know, a first round out team all the way up to the finals or Philadelphia, you know, trying to put together basically like three quarters of a new rotation on the fly and getting ready for June, uh, or even Boston with their chemistry issues. I mean, right? basically every single one of these teams in the Eastern Conference, I and I joke about, oh, Golden State's going to sweep them, but I, I really think that chemistry, that shared experience uh, is going to carry the day. I mean, there's not going to be another one of these teams that's going to be ready to operate on that same high level throughout the course of a series, be able to make all the adjustments that Golden State can make while also facing the pressure of that moment. And uh, I understand the the backlash, the frustration. I mean, you're probably going to you know, continue to whine about how boring it's going to be, you know, once we get to the postseason. But I also think we should respect them for what they've built. Yes, there's some sniping. Yes, Katie's going off the deep end every once in a while. Uh, yes, their bench might be getting a little bit older, things like that. Yeah. But these guys are a legit dynasty that deserve respect. Yeah, and I'm actually not going to be whining this year because it does sort of feel Final. like the last run with the current nucleus. Um, and we'll talk about KD in a second. But it's happened kind of quietly because, again, everyone else is focused on you know what the Knicks are doing, what's wrong in Boston, what the Lakers are doing. But the Warriors, since Christmas, say that they lost two games right around Christmas, and since then they are seventeen and two and beating teams by an average of seventeen points per game uh, in their wins, and they just look incredible. And a lot of it is uh, just health in general. I think that like Draymond Green is healthier now than he has been in a year and a half. He's much closer to the player that he had been for the previous couple seasons. And with Draymond looking like himself again, everything sort of fits. And um, hey, Andrew, are you are you just recycling the exact same thing you said last year at this time? I mean, do you just recycle these attacks on Draymond in October, knowing that you're going to come back around by February and say, hey, he's back? Wait, yep, wait, 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 wait. I wrote after they lost the Rockets game. I was like, don't write this TV. I learned my lesson with doubting Draymond Green. OK, I was not part of the masses who are wringing their hands like what's wrong with golden state or is this team the 04 lakers like i was not on that bandwagon whatsoever 
Um, mm. And we got to check the tape on that one. But you okay. can go back and read my column from the day after the Rockets game. But then I just spent some time around this team, and um, you know, watching Boogie integrated, it speaks to a how talented the rest of the Warriors are, and b how talented Boogie is because he's so skilled as a passer and even off the dribble and as a shooter that like the fit really is kind of seamless. He's a little slow on defense sometimes. And he's been over the last week or two, he's had some, some rougher games. Um, but I do think that like what he's doing and like the baseline of what he's doing is taking the team that had the biggest margin for error in NBA history. And he gives them an even bigger margin for error. And he's going to be able to help them in bench units and it's just kind of absurd that all of this is really happening and that this is Golden State's reality. But it it's almost it feels appropriate that like the most obscene era in NBA history is going to end with like the most absurd possible version of this team. No, I mean, when you watch these games, there's just mutually beneficial relationships all over the court. You give the ball to Boogie on the perimeter. All that hard work, like thankless cutting that Steph does, gets rewarded because Boogie can find him. You put Boogie into pick-and-roll situations with KD, now you're having big-bodied, effective screens, forcing switches that KD can exploit you know, to his heart's content, yeah. and then can also you know, pass well enough to set Boogie up going to the basket. You put Boogie on the court at the elbow, you're drawing attention, now Clay's flying free. Uh, to the corner and getting wide open looks uh, and, and sometimes in transition too when, when Boogie's able to clear defensive rebounds and they can push it a little bit. So you're right. I mean, they're, they're much better with him. Uh, I haven't seen any real negative downsides other than the, the slowness laterally on defense that you mentioned, which was to be expected and some foul troubles. I don't think either one of those is sort of a critical issue. We haven't really seen an emotional outburst from him. And I think, in fact, there's probably been a net positive impact on their overall mood with him coming back. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's sort of a boring story because there's not a lot of uh, drama related to it, but it's a really big deal because, uh, you know, I look at the West and I'm not sure who pushes them at all and I would love to hear your arguments for like who are the teams that are the biggest threats to Golden State in the West uh, I don't really see one right yeah. now I think Houston's a little bit of a sleeping giant because they're going to be able to get Paul and Capella back to full strength after the all-star break and they've been really really good when they've had those guys together and I like some of their deadline moves uh, but I think Houston has taken a step back from last season you know no no question about that even if they're at full strength and I don't think there's another team in the West right now that's anywhere close to being as good as Houston was last season yeah and I mean I said it the other day and granted I was joking and giving you shit as a Western Conference elitist but I really do feel like we should all kind of prepare ourselves mentally for the Warriors to run through with a potential 12-0 and run to the finals. And then maybe they drop a game or two oh. in the finals. But um, I bring all this up. I mean, I went and spent a couple days around the Warriors and wrote about Boogie, which, like you said, like it's interesting, but it's also working so well that it's like, okay, well, so this is the best team in the NBA, This, which shouldn't be that surprising. I think you're downplaying some of the second guessing that occurred over the summer because I did read a lot of people say, like, maybe he'll make them worse. Like, are we sure this is really an upgrade? And it's like, okay, come on. Um, but... Oh, that was de- that was definitely there. I'm just saying that. I yeah, didn't say you that. and I, I you mean, and I were you, pretty you, clear about it, actually, um, the week he saw When it happened, and then, you know... 
as the rehab was kind of unfolding, it's like, okay, here are the questions that he's going to have to to check off. And those are legitimate questions to ask about any player that you're going to be throwing onto a super team because Boogie's not a role player. And, he, you know, he, he has got superstar talent, like crazy, you know, Shaq-like statistics in, in past years. And he's going through the first big injury of his career. All of those things are unknowns. I'm just saying Golden State was smart enough to recognize all of those issues, to not be in denial about it, to create and foster an environment where he could succeed on basically every single one of those fronts, whether it was his basketball fit, his health, and his personality. And they deserve A-pluses for managing it. I hate to say it, Andrew. This is kind of bad radio. Golden State's good. We, we know Golden it. State is good. What about Kevin Durant, though? Okay, Stewart asks, what is with Kevin Durant? He seems to have two conversational styles where he's either talking down to someone or he's irritated by their questions. He seems to think fans and media should have no concern with his career and should stick to asking him about basketball and preferably not even that as they are all ignorant about the game anyways. This is, that's actually a pretty good summation of how a hater views Kevin Durant. Um, what do you think? What did you think of his press conference last week? Because I thought it was pretty interesting and my predominant takeaway from being around the Warriors, and this is sort of the other half of the conversation that I wasn't able to hit on as much in my piece, but like the vibes with KD are still pretty strange. And it's kind of remarkable that it doesn't matter much on the court. And that's probably a credit to how talented everyone is. But like this is still a thing. And KD does seem like he's in sort of his own world sometimes. Well, I've got a lot of thoughts about the press conference. First of all, you describe the emailer's uh, comments as being a, a representation of the KD hater. You know me, I'm a KD defender. That just seemed like an accurate representation of how Kevin's conducting himself right yeah. now. Um, I don't think there's any real hate involved in that. I mean, that's what he's doing in these in these press conferences. Um, what really bothered me about the press conference is finding out a week later that it's time to roll out this big ESPN Plus show, The Boardroom, that's going to star Kevin Durant and his uh, you know, advisor, Rich Kleiman, and, and Jay Williams, you know, the former number one overall pick from Duke. Because now you have uh, this almost like access peddling going on where Kevin's at the, you know, the podium press conference telling basketball reporters, basically, you guys don't matter. You need to grow up. Here's what you can ask me about. And meanwhile, I'm going to be conducting like my real uh, media ventures, uh, you know, on a television show with an ESPN and NBA, you know, partnership and just blurring every possible ethical line, right? And it's just this like sleazy access peddling where it's like, you can only ask me about basketball, but over here I'm going to be talking about A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And <laughs> I'm going to be talking about my just, career as an amateur venture capitalist over here on the boardroom. Yeah, and I, I don't think he's connecting with fans on any of this stuff. I think that's the fundamental problem. And I think when he's looking around to explain why he hasn't sort of won people's hearts and minds, yeah. The easy solution in that situation for anyone, whether it's a politician, a professional athlete, or anybody, it's to blame the media. And I think it's a soft target. It's an easy target. And it's a lot more natural thing to do than to have the deep heart-to-heart and you know self-evaluation and saying, why am I not resonating with people? Um, and I don't know. I just always have this feeling when I watch his press conferences recently that like he's going to look back five to 10 years from now and sort of be embarrassed by what he was saying because it doesn't feel like him. You know, when we look at this guy growing up, you know, 
first getting to Seattle and then Oklahoma City, there was a genuine kindness and a warmth to him, yeah. a, a fierce competitive spirit, and that stuff really seems to be gone. Well, I don't know. It doesn't. I I think I agree in, in one respect. It doesn't feel like the best version of him, but I don't know if he's in that place right now. And I think if there's one thing I do appreciate about the way he handles media now, and the way even the way he handled that press conference is that this is genuinely how Kevin Durant feels, and he's not up there BSing. I mean, he's being honest in a way that I think a lot of other superstars aren't, um, and he's genuinely frustrated. And I don't blame him in in a certain sense because like, I, it is a little bit strange that he has to talk to guys every day and if he doesn't, it becomes this big story. Like, that would get old after 10 or 11 years in the NBA. But then at the same time, Kevin Durant has been in the NBA for 10 or 11 years. And he understands how all of this works. And it's almost demeaning to kind of say, oh, poor Kevin. Like, like this is a guy who makes an absurd amount of money. Like, I think he makes probably $50 million from Nike, $40 million from the Warriors, or 35 or whatever. And, like... He understands how the game works. He's hosting a show called The Boardroom. And yeah, let me ask you, isn't he out here just looking for attention? I mean, to a certain degree, isn't that part of it? Like, he's telling us he doesn't want the attention, but he's taking one-year contracts. He's on these huge deals. He's in the middle of a media, a huge media platform uh, in the Bay Area. He's doing these other ventures like you're mentioning. I mean, for a guy who is like, leave me alone, leave me alone, he sure is doing a lot of things that say, look at me. Yeah, and it would be really easy to answer the free agency questions, you know? Like, I understand that he's in a little bit of a tough spot if he does intend to leave this summer and and is going to be asked about it but can't say, like, I'm leaving in July. Then just answer, say... I'm focused on winning a title this season in Golden State, and we'll get to this summer's free agency when we get to July 1st. But for right now, all I care about is winning a title in Golden State. And let me tell you, like that would be good enough for people all over the country and for media all over the country, and it would be good enough for the people in the Bay. And like the Warriors people would be, all right, like that's fine. Let's have fun with this final run and then see what happens in July. Like That's an easy hey, way to handle Andrew, it, right? Do you know how I know Kevin could handle that? Because he's already done it multiple times, right? He went through the storm the last year in Oklahoma City. Uh, he handled all the free agency questions then. He's been in the final year of his contract in Golden State before. He's handled the questions then. The thing that's changed is the buzz that he actually really wants to leave Golden State, and people are starting to feel like that is uh, becoming more of a real thing. That is the variable that's changed, not the c kinds of questions that people are going to ask, not the intense interest and in whatever morsel that Kevin Durant puts out there. Kevin's the one who sort of changed, and he hasn't put a stop to really any of it. I mean, and I don't think that his comments at that press conference really did anything to throw people off the not scent. Not <laughs> like, Did you come away from thinking like, oh yeah, that's right. The Knicks just screwed themselves. They made a terrible Porzingis trade because Katie just said he had nothing to do with the Knicks. It's over. It seemed to me like the end result was, okay, Kevin just got mad, but we all still completely believe the fact that he's going to New York. Yeah. I My takeaway was like, whoa, this struck a nerve and this is suddenly even weirder than it seemed to me when I was around the team a, a week or two beforehand. And and it's just, um, I, I don't blame Kevin Durant for feeling frustrated with the way the last couple of years have gone. I think that he went to Golden State and expected 
to be worshipped as soon as he won a title, and it just hasn't been that fulfilling. And there's been kind of weird tension with Steph along the way and weird tension with LeBron along the way, and he's just been in a strange place, which makes sense. From a human perspective, I can understand why he's just like pissed off and and feels unfulfilled and wants to go somewhere else this summer to, to try and switch it up. What I do really wish, though, is that, number one, like, I wish someone had been giving him a little bit better advice before he went to Golden State to explain that, like, look, you can go if 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 your reasoning is that you want to be in the best possible basketball situation and you want to be in a really cool city where you're going to have all kinds of business opportunities off the court, this move makes sense. And, um, and I think that's some of what he said when he made the move. It's like, look, I just want to be in the best place for me. What has been frustrating, I think, for fans is to watch him turn around and kind of like undermine that reasoning by by turning around and saying, look, why am I not the best basketball? Why am I not considered the best basketball player on the planet? And and it, it suddenly seems like he went to Golden State for a different reason. And so that the the disconnect there is frustrated people. And I also just strictly with his press conference the other night, like I wish someone would say, look, First of all, the prosperity that NBA players enjoy right now is directly correlated to fan interest in all this free agency stuff and media interest in all this free agency stuff. And so you kind of have to play the game because that's part of the job. And I understand a basketball player feeling like that shouldn't be part of the job, but like it is. And it's the reason everybody's making 10 times as much money now as they were 20 years ago. And that's just kind of like part of the deal. Um, and then the other part, I yeah. like. I do wish that someone would say, like, Kevin, you are one of the most famous athletes on the planet. And when you clap back at the media like that, it it stirs up this whole fake news. That part of it, it like this, this the shots at Ethan Strauss over the last week or two have been really unfair. Because all Ethan did was write what a lot of us have been hearing, and um, and I'm sure he's hearing it even more because he's in the Bay Area, and um, and to watch people like go at him on Twitter and be like, Ethan, you're fake news. Like this is why nobody trusts the media these days. Like that's kind of insane. Well, I'm sure he's smart enough not to listen to any of that. I, there's been a messaging problem from Kevin Durant the whole way through. You know, he never clearly explained why he left Oklahoma City for Golden State. They should have had that completely written up, carefully thought out in his own words, from his own spirit, ready to go on July 4th a couple of years ago. And the same thing should have happened coming into this season. You know, you need to have that clear vision for like, what are you trying to get from Golden State? Where are you trying to get yourself as a person on and off the court by the end of the season? And then stick to that story relentlessly all season well, long it's not that complicated and it's also not complicated to say like to, if you're around kd to say look like you're joining the best team in the league so if you go win a title next year you may not be celebrated the way you want to be like people are going to perceive this differently yeah, than but, they have perceived but, other titles in the past and that's just the way it but goes he's not getting that but he's not getting that kind of advice andrew yeah i mean because i think the, the people around kd were, were looking at that as a huge opportunity right the market move all the silicon valley stuff that we've been talking about the venture capitalism like that was in their interest so you can't be like hey kevin you know uh, i need you to take one for the team here people are going to call you a bandwagoner 
but on the bright side, we're going to get in early on Postmates, so it's going to all wash out. <laughs> well, yeah, and if that were the trade-off that everyone knew they were making, it would make sense to me. Like, that's fine. Go live, go have an amazing life and let the haters be miserable and go win a couple titles. Like, that's fine, but don't try to have it both ways where you're like cult hero and venture mogul. I, th- I still think he could have pulled it off. I think he could have, if he had sold hard the notion that... I'm a competitor. I'll do anything it takes to win. This incredible opportunity to win came along. I seized it. I went out in the finals. I delivered the title. I won the finals MVP. I left my mark on that series, and then I did it again. If he had had the consistent messaging all the way through, I think the blowback would have been less than it wound up being. But because they screwed it up at the start, they've been dealing with it ever since. And I have a feeling that they haven't really learned their lessons. If Kevin's out there just screeching about an article on The Athletic that suggests he might go to New York, I don't think he's internalized the the lessons from the last experience, and he's probably doomed to repeat these same mistakes if he does decide to go to the New York Knicks. Yeah, we'll see. Um, one thing I, I... You know what gets lost what? here, though? The, the patience factor from Curry, Thompson, Draymond, Kerr, the front office... And ownership. I mean, they obviously have reasons to be patient because Kevin makes it worth it on the yeah. court. He's still an unbelievable player. He has a very strong case as the best all-around player uh, in the game right now. We we haven't seen LeBron uh, at peak levels for almost you know what six weeks uh-huh. now. Uh, and during that time period, you, you start to appreciate the level that some of these other guys are on, whether it's Katie, Giannis, Steph, Harden, and the list goes on. But these guys really uh, are doing a phenomenal job not letting it break them There's up. There's no question. There's so many other organizations around the, the league that would just fall to pieces if their superstar was moody for four months straight. You know what I mean? Well, and I also think it's a credit to Durant to some degree because he went through that stuff with Draymond, and it's very difficult to be the bigger person and not allow that to kind of linger all season long. But those guys have just gone out and played since then, and um, and that's really impressive. And the, like again, it's a credit to everyone's talent and hoops IQ to be able to just take the court and still be leaps and bounds better than almost anybody in the league. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good point and probably a good place to end. I do hope that KD yeah. goes somewhere where he's happy. I, if it's New York, then go to New York, score thirty five a game. I would love to see Durant unleashed and just like maul the Eastern Conference for a year or two. Um, and yeah, my my last thought on that though is it's the happiness, it's the joy factor that's been missing for him. Yeah. I mean, he is he has such a pure love for basketball and. It's just so crazy that this whole press conference took place after like a 39-point victory, right? <laughs> totally. Like that's the last moment it should ever happen. And it's a huge red flag about where you know his mindset is in terms of what he's thinking. Like you should just be thinking, okay, we blew him out again. Let's go home and play video games or record a podcast or whatever, whatever it is they yeah. do, right? And instead it's like, let's create this huge media cycle for a week that's so damaging. And it also shows, frankly how out of step KD is with the rest of his teammates, guys like Steph, Clay, Kerr. I mean, they play it so by the book. They're so media friendly. They're so accessible. Even Draymond, uh, you know, he might have some pithy quotes every once in a while, but you know, he plays by that Warriors textbook of sort of keeping your your media allies close rather than antagonizing him. And, and KD's off kind of doing his own thing. I just have real serious doubts, though. 
are the New York Knicks the organization who's going to help you rediscover your joy for basketball? I mean, has there been anything joyous about the New York Knicks other than Kristaps Porzingis in the last 15 years? That's a really, really fair question. And again, it makes me wonder, is KD, if he does go to the Knicks, doing it for his right reasons, the things that are really going to fulfill him and make him uh, a level of happy that he hasn't been in a little while? Or is he doing it for other reasons? And again, is he going to get in the same cycle where he gets there and he's feeling the same feelings he's he's got right now? Yeah, um, that's a question for another day. I will say the one thing that's interesting about KD, though, you talk about the, the joy of basketball and the love that he has for basketball. Even as things have gotten a little strange this year, it is pretty interesting. Whenever you ask Durant about anything else in the NBA, anything not related to the Warriors or his free agency, he will give you some of the best, most expansive answers you'll get from any NBA superstar. He loves talking about basketball. He does not like talking about himself or any of this weirdness. Um, But it's one of the reasons I still like him because he is like fundamentally just a dude who loves to hoop and loves to talk basketball. And uh, he's... I don't know. I'll always have a soft spot for him, no matter how weird this all gets. But uh, moving on, Ben, we got to go back to the Eastern Conference real quick. Seth says, as a Celtics fan, it pains me to ask this, but to what extent are the current Celtics problems Brad Stevens' fault? Obviously, he can't make Hayward recover faster or keep Kyrie from talking smack about the young guys. But at the end of the day, I can't see Pop ever letting a team's morale get this low. What do you think, Ben? What do you think of of the job old Brad Stevens is doing this season? You know, I'm not really here to pop shots at Brad Stevens. I think stuff like morale always starts with the biggest personality in the locker room and kind of trickles down from there. I think Pop's, you know, that comparison... The, the master stroke from Pop was having that close relationship with the superstar player in Duncan, right? And when San Antonio's locker room had serious issues, it was because Pop lost control of that relationship with Kawhi. Yeah. He didn't see it coming. Nobody else really saw it coming, but that's sort of the centerpiece of any team. And I don't want to harp on Kyrie over and over and over again, because I know it's going to just bring me 500 more emails from his defenders, but the instability that they're seeing, the unhappiness that they're seeing, even when they're playing really well on the court at stretches, the inconsistency between their best moments and their worst moments and those wild swings goes back to Kyrie. Because again, much like Kevin Durant, he has now put his organization in this limbo of what's he going to do? What's the future look like? And because they don't have as much talent around him as Golden State's assembled uh, around you know, Durant and, and had uh, you know present before Durant got there, of course, it's going to be shaky. If everybody's wondering what Kyrie is going to be doing this summer, it's going to be the same exact feeling that everybody had, wondering what LeBron James was going to be doing in Cleveland yeah. for years that Kyrie used to complain about, complain about, right? I mean, Kyrie has sort of evolved into the person that he hated. You know what I mean? Well, I guess so. I don't know if it's as much about Kyrie. <laughs> I feel like we've had this exact conversation a bunch of times, but like they were winning against the Clippers with Kyrie healthy and then he went out the other night and they blew a 28 point lead and then Marcus Morris came out and said it hasn't been fun here for a long time and um and I think that resonated with a lot of Celtics fans because they've been watching this team and have not been having fun um and I think maybe part of it's Kyrie but a lot of it is probably I don't blame Stevens I do think that this is a reflection of the costs of 
doing business the way modern NBA business is done. You know what I mean? Where like, if you're just going to have half the, half the roster on the trade block and, and guys like Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum not knowing whether they're going to be there a year from now, eventually there's going to be a cost. And, and, and I think that's part of what we're seeing in Boston this, this year is there's just, there's not a lot of cohesion and that actually makes sense, you know? And it's something that I wish I had considered more back in October when me and half the other NBA media was, uh, was predicting this team to go win 65 games. Like, Hey, don't lash yourself. This is their problem, well, not your problem. It, yeah. you know, don't don't fall on the sword for these guys. I mean, I know you love to do that as a member of the Celtics media, but come <laughs> on, man. You were right. No. This team has the talent to be a super team. The door was wide open, and they've been one of the biggest disappointments in the entire league. I love watching them when they're playing well and when everything is clicking. They just don't do it every Yeah, night. I think that they have the talent to be a super team if Gordon Hayward is Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown is playing like the player we expected him to be. And... Um, Neither one of those things has been true for most of this season. Jalen Brown has looked a little bit better lately. But um, but additionally, I think that we all should have been a little more conscious of like the cost of the uncertainty and, um, and, and understanding that like they were probably going to be spending eight months orbiting Anthony Davis and getting ready to trade for him this summer. And uh, I knew that in October and didn't totally consider how that could affect this team. And I think that's part of well, it. Well, you you did you did consider it, but the problem was that you think or you thought Brad Stevens was a saint. <laughs> I mean, you wanted to give him a piece of the Celtics. You thought he was going to be able to magically heal every single problem. And frankly, there was reason to believe that. It wasn't an audacious, crazy yeah. take. Um my assumption was that he would be able to kind of keep these pieces together better than they have. But I also thought Kyrie would be the center of it and everyone would understand that. And that's to me what hasn't happened. And I think that there's trickle down from that uh, in all directions. Yeah. And it's a strange situation when you start talking about the Celtics, because like they have these bad losses where either Kyrie or another one of the veterans like Marcus Morris will come out and talk about how miserable the team is. And, and look, like after blowing a 28 point lead against the Clippers, like everybody could agree that that is not what anyone was expecting six months ago. But at the same time, there are a lot of stretches where they play great basketball. And like, since they've had that starting group together, they've been one of the best teams in the league. And so it's, it's strange because it seems like every week or two, we look up and say, Oh, the Celtics are turning a corner and becoming the team we expected them to be. And then they'll have these, like relapse moments where you're just like, oh my God, what is wrong with these guys? Um, so it could really get interesting from here. We'll have to kind of wait and see. Uh, but then another team in the East, Ben, you wrote about the Bucks this weekend. And Ben says, I'm curious why you guys are relatively low on the Bucks as the favorites to make it out of the East. They have the best net rating in the NBA, as well as a top two offense and defense. Giannis is at worst a top two MVP candidate and nearly every player in their rotation is having the best season of his career. Are you guys simply tempering expectations to avoid disappointment if they lose in the conference finals? Are you not buying the supporting cast around Giannis? What's the argument that they aren't the clear favorites in the East? What do you think, Ben? Well, I think I already tipped my hand on this one, Ben. So, you know, pay attention, pay closer attention here. We already said we're trying to decrease expectations on the Bucks so that we can really enjoy the playoff ride without, you know, any 
thoughts of ominous clouds of, oh, they're not living up to what they should be. I have so many Bucks thoughts. First of all, I have officially decided Giannis is still my MVP candidate. I, I was sort of swayed towards Harden during parts of that scoring streak. But when you're looking at the relative talent they have around him and how he is getting uh, the most out of basically every single person on that rotation and what a central role he plays in their offensive success and their defensive success. You look at his insane numbers, you look at their team performance, you know, before that loss to the Magic when he was uh, sitting out over the weekend, they had a top 10 point differential of all time. Uh, you know, to me, he should still be viewed as the MVP of this league. That's number one. Number two, I'm not low on the Bucks. I think this team is very, very serious. I put them in the top tier, as I've said previously, them in Boston. That's just giving Boston credit for their past performance mm-hmm. and for Stevens' ability to you know, show it time and time again during the playoffs. But I think we should give Bud uh, a lot of respect here in terms of what he's going to be able to do with these guys in the postseason because they can play big, they can play small. Lopez, I think, is a guy who worries me like in the finals against Golden State, and I have said previously that the idea of playoff Lopez makes my skin crawl a little bit because you're just thinking like, oh, here's this big lumbering seven-footer. How's that going to work? But there's no he's not going to struggle to stay on the court against Marcus Gasol or a big-bodied center like Joel Embiid uh, or whoever else, right? Like he's going to have a big-time postseason role, and he's playing out of his mind right now. I mean, the other night in Dallas – He's banking in three-pointers, dropping Jordan shrugs, doing 360 spin moves off the dribble. It's just like, who is this guy right now? He's just in a great groove. Uh, and I think, you know, all of their pieces fit. We went over the Miritich uh, addition previously. Maybe we didn't mention how they can just use him at the five, right? So now they can really spread you out in like super Atlanta Hawks style and just force your defenders to cover crazy amounts of ground. Yeah. And that's going to be a problem for teams in the playoffs. I'm very, very bullish on Milwaukee. Uh, you know, to me, I think that this should be a team that makes the Eastern Conference Finals basically no matter what. And I also, you know, took the extra step, Andrew, of booking out hotel rooms oh boy. in downtown Milwaukee throughout the NBA Finals. Wow. I, I I didn't do that lightly, uh, and I felt bad doing it because I had already done it for Toronto, Philadelphia, and Boston before the season started, but. I'm watching these guys just dissect opponents. They've got 31 double-digit victories already this season. That's crazy. And when you perform at that kind of a level, when you're that hard to stop and you get offensive contributions from every single spot on the court, you have to be taken very, very seriously. That is the elite basketball podcaster's move. I think I heard Brian Windhorst uh, say that he had reservations in, I think, three of the four cities. Milwaukee was one of them. So people are beginning to believe. Um, and I'm right there with you, I think. I, th- I mean, so you're not saying that they're like the clear-cut favorites to make the finals, are you? No, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, there, there is the hang-up of like, they haven't won a playoff series. So that is a big jump. There's no question about it. But I don't, if I'm them, I'm not afraid of any of these yeah. other teams, right? I respect Philly. I respect Boston. I respect Toronto. But their head to head performance this season against those teams leads you to believe that they're as good or better than those teams. And their consistency and chemistry questions are just much less severe than those other teams. Like, if you're trying to picture Milwaukee going out in the playoffs, it's either because. You know, Giannis is just finds himself playing like one on five, right. right? 
or he just wears down over the course of a really long series where a team is completely geared against him or a couple of their role players sort of like fade to obscurity. Like there's not going to be the possibility that like these guys get into a fist fight over control of the basketball or somebody pouts off the court or they're not listening to the coach or somebody scratches, you know, their coach's play or any of the other stuff that we tend to see in these high pressure moments. They're going to stay together, and that's worth something. Yeah, I agree with you, and, and I think that they should be the favorites um, strictly because it, right now there's like a group of four teams, obviously, and what I enjoy about it is that everyone in the East thinks they're making the finals, um, and particularly like Philly fans are looking at the Bucks and what they did at the deadline, and they say, look, Nikola Miritich is not that great. Like, let's all just slow down and then Bucks fans are saying the same thing about Tobias Harris and the Sixers who the Sixers have looked really good through the first two games we'll probably find out more in their game against the Celtics Tuesday night I mean JJ Redick shot 70 percent the last two games playing next to Tobias Harris um if that were to continue yeah the Sixers would be a shoe in for, for the finals um the Bucks side of it I think is Tricky. The only reason I'm reluctant to like buy all the way in is because I don't know how much more room these guys have to grow. You know, whether it's like Bledsoe or Middleton or even Brooke Lopez, like they all of them are are basically peaking now. And um, I think that like there's more room for the Sixers. There's there's more upside with with that team and what they're going to be bringing into the playoffs. There's certainly more upside for the Celtics and what they've been over the last six weeks versus where they may be in May. Um, and so I think that's the only reason I have a little bit of pause before like penciling in Milwaukee to the finals. And I, I think if we're looking for way, places where there could be upside is like, I don't think as crazy as it sounds, I mean, you just call him the MVP. I don't know if we've seen Giannis at his best and we could just see him take no. over the whole league over the like four or five weeks from May to June, you know, and that would be amazing. Andrew, we we definitely have not seen Giannis at his best or his highest impact. And I wrote this uh, over the weekend in my column on the Bucks. You know, he's only playing 33 minutes I a saw night. That. And That's he's incredible. got he's got prime Kareem Abdul Jabbar stats going on right now, even though he's playing 33 minutes a night. I mean, if he was playing 37 or 38, like a player who's 24 years old and a rising superstar usually yeah. would he would be averaging like 30, 15, and 7 or some crazy stat line like that, right? No, absolutely. So they have another gear. I think Milwaukee's absolute peak ceiling, like their best ability, you can make a strong argument, is higher than Boston's or higher than Toronto's. Now, if Philly somehow got it completely clicking with all of their guys, that top-end talent, maybe Philly's absolute peak ceiling is like a little bit higher than Milwaukee's. But Milwaukee's peak is very, very high, and... I trust Giannis to get them to that peak or pretty close to it during the postseason. He was excellent in last year's playoffs. People forget that. I mean, he had Brad Stevens ripping his hair out, shaking his head. Uh, And it's not like he needs these other guys to be stepping up in a huge way to like carry them. I mean, Giannis will be the best player in the Eastern Conference playoffs, in my mind. The only other guy who I think can be close in terms of total impact would be Joel Embiid. And Giannis gets to have the ball in his hands a lot more. And, and we see, especially if you've got shooters around you, that that's the way you win, uh, you know, even in the playoffs these days. So uh, I think 
you know, we're all braced for it because we've been sitting over here counting down to the Giannis Inc. We're fully immersed yeah. in it. I think Giannis Inc. is going to be attracting a lot of casual day trading investors <laughs> during these playoffs. I Okay, there's going to be a lot of people who want to hop in on this wave now because they see it. Yeah, and you know, when you try to contextualize like what he's doing and what he means to Milwaukee and what he is to these teams that are trying to stop him, like I was talking to a Sixers fan, Michael Levin, actually, and uh, talking about the matchup between Philly and Milwaukee, and it's like. When you really break it down, Giannis is like all the best parts of Ben Simmons mixed with most of the best parts of Embiid. And uh, that's kind of an insane player to think about. And you talk about him playing 33 minutes a game. Like that's shocking to me. He, I believe he led the league in minutes a year ago. And I had just assumed that the numbers he was putting <laughs> yeah. up were like a byproduct of him yeah, doing Drew. that again. But it's... I, yeah, no... But Bud has turned it around. I mean, he's gone to the smarter, more modern approach. And look, I'm pretty sure Middleton and Giannis averaged like 47.8 minutes in last year's playoffs under Joe Prunty. I mean, these guys were being run into the ground. And so it's completely a case of Bud having them working smarter, not yeah, harder. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Let's do one more um, Lakers question. Oh, hey, real quick, though. Are you with me on Giannis as MVP? And also, do you see a coach of the year who has a stronger case than Bud? Because I think Bud's got a pretty strong case when you look at the turnaround. I mean, yes, he has the benefit of, you know, having the MVP on his team, but like the win improvement from this year to last year, the defensive improvement, the offensive improvement, how much of it can be attributed to his system, yeah. uh, how well he's made these pieces fit. Like his case is really, really good. And I know I'm I'm drinking green Kool-Aid here because I just saw him on Friday night and they look spectacular in that win. But um, don't you think he's right at the top of the list? For I that never award? wavered. As far as um, MVP, Giannis is the MVP. As far as coach of the year, Ooh. I just don't understand. I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of love for Mike Malone and um, he, deserves he, he does deserve the love. So I, I understand it. But like looking at... Uh, Bud, he's just been so good. And everybody who's, who says, like, oh, the Bucks, they have one of the deepest rotations in the league. Nobody was saying that when Bud took over. And they didn't, I mean, like, half this roster looked like bad fits and bad investments that Milwaukee was not going to be able to get out of. And it just didn't look like things were headed to a good place. And in Bud's system, everything has fallen into place. And it's been really fun to watch. And And I think, like, there's no question he should be coach of the year. It, the only reason he wouldn't win is because he doesn't have like the right momentum at the right time when everyone's voting in mid-March. Like if the Nuggets are the first seed in the West or something, maybe Denver and Mike Malone will steal it. But like Bud is on another level. I'm shocked by how good a coach yeah. he is. And he doesn't campaign for it, right? He's not going to be out there asking for it. He's not trying to make headlines. One thing I did like was Bucks GM John Horace, so I talked to for the first time over the weekend getting out in front and really just saying look we feel pressure to recruit Giannis from within constantly mm -hmm. everything we're trying to do has an eye towards the future to make sure we can keep the players we want to keep and to make sure we're building a, a winner at a high level around Giannis and then doing the real veteran GM tactic of saying look my guy deserves every award Horace is telling me not only should Giannis <laughs> be MVP but you should look at him for defensive player of the year too. Andrew, I kind of yeah. like that. 
you know? I mean, like, I understand, like, it's everyone's trying to spin this time of year, but that's what you have to do if you're in Milwaukee. If you're a small market team that's, you know, popping onto the, the scene in a real way uh, for the first time in probably more than a decade, you've got to sell yourself a little bit. And I, I like the idea of, you know, trying to get Giannis as much love as you possibly can. For sure. Can. And I talked to Horst also uh, for the Eric Bledsoe piece I did a couple months. I guess it was a month ago. And um, one thing he said to me that I thought was interesting is like, I know we're good. I don't know how good we are yet. And and then we were talking about free agency this summer. And um, and I think that's the, the only unknown that's left is like, what are you getting from Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs? What are you getting from Chris Middleton in the playoffs? They're probably going to try to bring everybody back just because there aren't any clear alternatives. Um, but uh, but we have to kind of see what those guys can do in, in April and May. Um, so, in, and until then, they're going to keep just blowing the doors off of people. I mean, night after night, these guys are absurd. The last question, should we talk Lakers? Yeah, here... Mason, who put this on Twitter, um, Mason Ginsburg, he's a Pelicans blogger and did not direct this to us, but I liked it. He said, fun hypothetical, 15 years ago, does the Anthony Davis Lakers trade go down? Let's say everything about the scenario is the same as today, except for the internet and social media. I think the answer is still no, but it, it is at least a real debate. What do you think of that? Um, basically he's trying to say, did social media and the environment created by the trade hijacking, uh, influence, whether it actually took yeah. place. Um, I don't think it helped, but I don't know if it was the critical factor. I mean, I think the critical hangup was that Brandon Ingram's not as good as you told us he'd be. <laughs> if Brandon Ingram was really your nephew, if he had fully lived up to that, I think the trade gets done. Uh, but also let's keep in mind, like superstars don't get traded mid season. Yeah that often right especially players that high so i think the strong answer or the obvious like just default answer would be no he wouldn't be traded they try to do it during the summer when they could you know take their time and really explore everything um so i'm not sure how much the media environment kind of played into it um you know it's tricky though because maybe their strategy was like the pelicans front office or their ownership group is more easily manipulated by the media and pressure and things like that because it's a weird structure and the owner is new and things like that. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I think they would have reached the same conclusion, which is we don't want to trade for him unless we're getting blown away, whether it was today, five years ago, 10 years ago, 25 years ago, whatever. Well, what I enjoy about this hypothetical is that um, I think what the the role that the internet played was making it impossible to believe Brandon Ingram hype or Lonzo Ball hype or Kyle Kuzma hype. And I think that 15 years ago, the Lakers would have had an easier time getting one over on the Pelicans and saying, look, these were two top five picks that we're giving you and they have struggled at times, but there's a lot of upside (laughs) and Kyle Kuzma has been great. He's scoring 20 points per game this year. He's unbelievable. Wait, wait, wait. This is the old Cleveland. You're getting two number one picks with Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. And I think it would have been easier to pull off if every Lakers offer were, wasn't greeted by half the internet 
laughing them out of the room and being like, you got to be kidding me. Like (laughs) Brandon Ingram for Anthony Davis. I think that allowed the Pelicans to have more of a backbone than, than they might have had all this happened in 1995. Um, And it's one of those things. I do think that fewer dumb trades are made today because GMs are conscious of being shamed on Twitter and social media and the media at large. It's like everybody is just more vigilant today. And so as a result, people are more cautious in front offices. I've noticed that too. I mean, grading stuff or handing out winners and losers. And there's a lot more B pluses and B minuses than there used to be A's and F's. You yeah, know it's I mean? really upsetting. I miss some of the horrible trades. I guess I still enjoy a lot of that in, in Washington. The Wizards are keeping the uh, past era alive. Um, but yeah, I don't. did you see Magic's comments in Philly over the weekend? Well, I did. But did you see Bobby Portis? Go, what do you have, 65 points in his first <laughs> game? I mean, are how excited are you yeah, for that? Yeah, one point for every million that he's going to get this summer. I can't wait. God. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Magic, he's trying to bring everybody together in, like, typical Magic way. I'm not sure he can hug and sidebar his way through this one, though. It Well, you know it's I mean? weird. His whole, like, toughen up routine, I don't know if it's going to really resonate with some of those guys in the locker room. And I, I think that we're just going to watch this Lakers team have a, a pretty strange couple of months. Would you say they, they still make the playoffs? I think they'll make the playoffs. LeBron better drag him into the playoffs or, you know, people are going to be coming for him real quick. And I'm not sure he's prepared for it because he's never really, you know, faced that level of backlash that's waiting for him. If he misses the playoffs in his first year with the Lakers, I don't think magic's, coming together routine will really work that well because these young guys talk they have friends in other locker rooms and they realize like not every organization (laughs) handles their business this way it's not like you could just tell them hey this is how it is in the nba no it's really not like how many other organizations were completely paralyzed by two weeks straight of rumors basically nobody besides the pelicans and uh the lakers and sure lots of guys were traded Right. Lots of guys had their lives changed forever by, you know, financial moves their ownerships made. But that doesn't mean that the the level of dysfunction that seemed to be bubbling up there over the, the course of those couple of weeks is just like par for the course around the NBA. Because Dude, it's not. it would be really discouraging to me if I were a Lakers fan to sit back and hear Magic give some of the answers that he's given, whether it's telling the guys to toughen up or claiming that the Pelicans were dealing in bad faith. Like, this is stuff that's, like, right off of Lakers Twitter, first of all. And you're like, come on, man. Like, distance yourself a little bit and take some responsibility for some of this stuff because, you know, it's one thing to screw it up. It's another thing to screw it up and say that your young guys need to get over it and it was actually all the Pelicans' fault anyways. It's like... That's not super encouraging, and um, I, I don't know. I don't know where they go from here. The other thing that I, I have thought about over the over the weekend, I've, I've heard a couple people mention it, like Rich Paul really took a loss on this one, and I think that was sort of obvious on Thursday after the deadline, but like this has not been a great run for Anthony Davis. Now he has to finish the season in New Orleans, in part because the NBA is going to find the Pelicans if they don't play Davis. But, like, instead of finishing on a really classy note where he plays out the entire year and people look back on him fondly and say, you know, 
he had to get he had to do what was best for him we understand now he's in this weird zone with pelicans fans where everybody just kind of wants this to be over and we have to wait for two months while everybody pretends that everything's normal and like that that's a direct byproduct of clutch sports trying to accelerate the timetable despite clear signs that it wasn't going to work until june yeah, well, so here's the thing. Like, right now, he's Kawhi part two, right? Like, he's basically trashed his relationship with his uh, current fan yeah. base, and he hasn't really found the landing spot that he wanted. Now, it could still pay off if they get the deal done this summer and he winds up with the Lakers, then okay, that was a blip on the radar. But if he winds up going someplace he doesn't want to go and has to play a full season like Kawhi is, you know, basically you know, just playing out the string, waiting for it to end so he can go where he wants in 2020 or whatever – that is a complete mess. And yes, absolutely, all those guys should be criticized 100%, including Davis for you know, basically going along with this plan. The bill is coming due for Magic this summer because he's been preaching for 12 months straight, second superstar, second superstar, second superstar, second superstar. That's been his mantra, yep. right? And we've been through each of these guys who's available. I still don't see who that, that guy is going to be. Who is the player that uh, Magic can pitch as a legit superstar alongside Anthony, uh, LeBron James other than Anthony Davis, who wants to go play for the Lakers? And all of the behavior along the way, whether it's the you know the, the media stuff before the, the trade deadline, whether it's how he picked up the pieces after the trade deadline, whether it's the uh, Luke Walton rumors that have sort of circulated – all of that stuff will contribute to how free agents view your franchise. And I think that means he's he's got his reputations kind of on the line here, right? If he can't convince one of these other guys to, to come to LA and to team up with LeBron, where does this whole experiment go? I mean, doesn't this start to head down to like the late career Kobe Bryant wormhole immediately sure. at that point? <laughs> like sure. Maybe they're like a 43-win team next year if LeBron doesn't have a, another sidekick or... Maybe they're a little bit better if Ingram sticks around and makes a huge leap, but they're not getting to that contention level, which is what they yeah, hoped. Yeah, and let me tell you, I was watching Sixers-Lakers on Sunday, and um, you know, there's still a little bit of shock every time you see LeBron in a Lakers jersey, at least for me. You've been at Lakers games all year, but like every time I'm watching him on TV for the Lakers, it's like, whoa, how did this happen? And then there was a second moment of recognition where like, LeBron in a Lakers jersey might be a really depressing thing that we all look back on and be like, wow, that was his Montana on the Chiefs era. And we're not there yet, but Ooh. like it's we're we're trending in that direction and I a, a lot of it does for me. We we went over it on the last podcast. We're going over it a little bit here. A lot of it does force me to sort of like rethink Magic's role in all of this uh, because, you know, even on Sunday, it's just like it's not the way you play that. That's um, not the way I would have played it. Um, but Hey, Andrew, you know what's really hanging in the balance what? right now? Whether LeBron gets a Staples Center statue. What do you think? If you had to bet, <laughs> based on how this first year has gone, is LeBron going to do enough to get a statue at Staples Center, yes or no? If you had asked me this question last July, I would have said 99.9% You yes. know, I just thought... It would have happened. He would have been able to pull the strings, get some help, make some conference finals runs, pass Jordan on the scoring list. Boom, there's your statue. You know, we love the superstars and, and the celebrities in LA. You're going to get one. I don't know right now. What do well, you think? Well, 
it, this actually hits at something that I've thought about a lot over the last month or two. I would really respect Lakers fans more if they were a little bit more critical of LeBron and they haven't been thus far. There was like that small contingent of Kobe fans who refuse to totally embrace him and maintain that Kobe is better. And I think those guys might have the right idea and that's how I would play it if I were a Lakers fan. So the the possibility that I find most entertaining as you lay this question out is LeBron gets a statue, but it's like half the size of Kobe's statue. And we've put it out there to shame him next to Kobe. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's how Lakers nation will, will come to feel over the next year or two. Um, and it through no fault. Actually, of LeBron's. I, got, I got ahead of myself though. <laughs> what? Well, let me ask you, though, what about his jersey? You think he gets his jersey retired? I don't think any of that stuff happens if he doesn't win a title. And look, it, this isn't Ooh. LeBron's fault, necessarily. It's The odds are stacked against him. He's 34 years old. I think he's going to be 35 next year. Like, it's <laughs> that's, That is how aging works. Um, it. I was going to let it go, but I'm glad you, you, you made that note. Yeah, I mean, no, it, this is tough, okay? It's tough to win... 15 years into your career or wherever exactly he is and um, and build a super team out of thin air and like he shouldn't be expected to go do this but the fact is he's been so good everywhere else that that is the bar for him and um, if he falls short I'm sure the Lakers fans are not going to be in a rush to be like oh my god you're right there with Shaq and Kobe and Kareem and everybody else I, I think it'll be more complicated than that which is fine. LeBron's still going to go down as the second or third greatest player of all time. Yeah, I just, I mean, if he winds up not getting his jersey retired, not getting a statue, not making the finals, uh, are we going to look back on the whole decision and, and like, which was pretty roundly received in like a positive way last yeah. summer and think the analysis completely missed the point. Like the stuff that I was saying the year before about how he should try to find a, a stable organization with, you know, a, a smart front office forward thinking and, and all that stuff. Are we going to start to do that revisionism? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I think we were all, I, I definitely mentioned Montana and the chiefs uh, in my column after he, he first signed and, and was sort of underscoring how challenging it was going to be, and I think you did too, where you were like, you didn't mention Montana on the Chiefs, but you said, you know, I think you compared him to Floyd Mayweather and then, and said this was a cash out thing. So like we, all of this was there even at the time, but it speaks to the equity that LeBron has built up yeah. over the years that people were willing to give him but the Andrew, benefit of the doubt. Look, I said that he sold out. You said he was falling off a cliff, but we wrote that so he could prove us wrong, right? Like, it's not like we wanted that to happen. We want to see LeBron get a statue, you know, bring some serious, like, uh, you know, contender status to the Lakers and form this rivalry with Golden State. And if it continues to kind of drip along this way, we might get proven right, but we're not going to be happy about it. We're not going to be sitting here like shaking hands and saying we nailed it we did it open floor was on it no we're just gonna be really sad and i think ultimately we do but if it does end with a bunch of kobe fans hating on lebron on the way out of town that would be fine too i'm happy for the kobe zealots out there um the a couple more questions sam says zion williamson will be the next kenneth fareed which I include only because I'm excited for all sorts of Zion talk over the next couple months. I think 
Come on, Sam. <laughs> yeah. So, well, my friend Spike, uh, Spike Eskin, compared Zion Williamson to Julius Randle with a cooler name. The one thing I want to emphasize is that I understand why people might be skeptical of Zion and think, like, uh, this is a guy who's been overhyped by the internet and is not as good as everyone says and is not going to translate very well to the NBA. The thing about Zion that makes him kind of incredible is just how good he is at if we're talking Julius Randle like Zion Williamson is 10 times better at the things Julius Randle was supposed to be good at like his ability to score inside I think he's shooting like 80 percent on twos in college and like the block he had against UVA over the weekend like this dude is just outrageous and um <laughs> Andrew no disrespect to this comp but he's also a lot better at the stuff that Julius Randle isn't good at like <laughs> Zion Williams is an incredible all-around defensive yeah, player and a like, good passer he can pretty much guard any spot on the court uh his very very active and engaged constantly disruptive I mean all the things that you kind of wanted from Julius Randle or maybe he shows every you know once every month Zion's bringing on a play-to-play basis I'm not here at all for the anti-Zion nitpicking like you can say all right he's overhyped he's not a better prospect than LeBron was which I know there's been some talking heads who are trying to get that whole thing started I understand pumping the brakes there but Kenneth (laughs) come on I just enjoy the uh horribly disrespectful comps it's something that has happened over the like that is a trend that has emerged over the last three or four years on Twitter and uh I will laugh at every single one, but no, I'm I'm with you. I think Zion's going to be pretty amazing. And he's not on LeBron or Anthony Davis's level as a prospect in terms of just like basically flawless, like slot this guy in for the next 15 years, he's going to the Hall of Fame. But I do think that he is the most fun prospect that we've had since like that that level. I think he's more fun to think about than even Anthony Davis. So um, I think... I mean, he he seems like a legit phenomenon like a movie created exactly. phenomenon right like jesus jesus shuttlesworth zion williamson like is there no, any difference between and, the two and of spike those is right the name is certainly part of the appeal i think it's the name and his frame like i've never seen a basketball player look the way zion looks and then to just explode uh you know defensively offensively like he's just awesome um but two final questions here Brett says, just a heads up, guys, Jim Boylan got the New Yorker treatment this week, and he has a link to an article by my friend Louisa Thomas. We were together at Grantland. She says, Your yeah, friend? she's a DC DC lady. I, well, I have never respected you more than we have right now. She is an incredible writer. <laughs> yeah. Great piece. Boy, like, can we meet? Can we all have, have a sit down? I would love to pick her brain. She did a phenomenal job with that. I had no idea you were in such a steamed company. Well, do Andrew. you think that she was uh, inspired by our lantern segment? Because the the title of the piece is Jim Boylan, Old School Coaching and What Nostalgia Tends to Obscure. So maybe she's part of the Open Floor Globe. Look, we're all in the same lane. We were carpooling on this one. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. She was going through and just like just withering takedown of Boylan at every step of the way. And, and her conclusion was fantastic. Like Boylan's explaining what the Bulls need to do. And she basically just like shoves it all back in his face and says, you know, actually, maybe you just need a new plan as a coach. Brilliant piece. I ruined the ending, but everyone should go read it on The New Yorker. If you want to read like a high-minded version of this podcast with very like, you know, advanced vocabulary and, and well-constructed sentences, 
Go yes. check it out. However, you may not. The New Yorker piece does not have anecdotes from readers who <laughs> wasn't one of the coaches like was quoting <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. I don't know. I got to go back and listen to that. That was an amazing, <laughs> amazing 15 minutes we had there. Um, but final email uh, from an, a listener. Ollie. Andrew, sound a little more excited. <laughs> Come on. We've been waiting all episode for this. We teased it on last Friday's episode. We have the clap back from our buddy Ollie in New Zealand. And just to quickly recap, Ollie tried to send in some advice to his cousin KJ, a Suns fan, about how he should change allegiances and give up on the Suns. KJ was incredibly upset by Ollie's email, basically told the entire world that he'd never met Ollie, never heard of him. Uh, and, you know, Ollie didn't know what he was talking about. Got in some real personal digs at Ollie's expense. And we basically called Ollie to the carpet, didn't we, Andrew? We said, Ollie, we need to hear from you. You need to email us back in and clap back at KJ if you want to keep this family feud brewing. And now we've heard from Well, Ollie. we did, Ben. And Ollie says, hey, guys, punk cousin Ollie here. I experienced a real Eric Bledsoe, I don't want to be here moment when you guys read out <laughs> KJ's rebuttal email, naming me and shaming me for six minutes and 50 seconds or just under 9% of your last podcast. The disses were laid on thick, and over the last 48 hours, I felt Ricky Rubio-level level pain, receiving blow after blow from members of the Suns community. Uh, since, you want to, since you want me to clap back, I'm sensing you'd like this family feud to continue, but I won't pander to that request. KJ has earned the Ooh. W here, no doubt about it. Wow, Ollie is taking the high road, Andrew. I didn't see this yes, coming. Yes, I'm very happy for him and KJ. Uh, and as he continues on, he says, the only thing I want to clear up is I was at Abel Tasman National Park. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong. Ben always says the great abil- the greatest ability is availability. Well, national parks are available, guys, for now. And I think mm. it's important to promote and cherish what we have while we're st- while we still have it. So to prove he was at the park, he attached a receipt of the bus ride from the national park. He attached a photo of his flight itinerary. He attached several photos of himself and his girlfriend at the national park. I This was insane. Uh, shout out to Ali for going the extra mile. I have no doubts that he was there. Um, do you have any thoughts? Uh, no, shout out to his girlfriend for putting up with him, Andrew, <laughs> because Ali said that this whole proof thing really created a strain in their relationship. Like, he was following up with me on Instagram saying, like, look, I got the photo, but she was really embarrassed. <laughs> she didn't know what we were doing, why we had to take all these pictures with everybody around looking at us. So shout out to both Ollie and Mrs. Ollie. You guys have really contributed well to the Open Seriously, he is right up there with KJ as two of our favorite listeners of all time. Um, and then at the end, he adds... After KJ's email, I was sure our supposedly non-existent relationship was going to be on thin ice for life. And he was right. It had been a while since the last time we had caught up. But because of the recent Open Floor episodes, you'll be glad to know that we've since been in contact and I intend on making more of an effort with my two favorite cousins. If anything, this is proof of the power of the Open Floor globe. Uh... Oh, I love it. Ollie's spinning it for us. So I, I got to say, though, Andrew, he's very cryptic in the fact that they've been in contact. Do you think that that's just KJ sending him profanities, <laughs> or do you think that they've had meaningful 
meaningful like pageant and healing no i don't i want to trust in the strength of their bond which we have helped fortify because there's nothing that i would be prouder of than us tearing apart a family and then helping that family to heal (laughs) and i think that's how i'm going to choose to understand what just happened between kj and ollie and um and again you know shout out to the Suns, who i believe have lost like 15 games in a row and have less hope than ever uh, you sound like a damaged person. I don't even know what you're saying there, but okay, I guess I'm glad we, we put it back together. We're not trying to tear apart Well, anyone. and none of this would have been possible without the Phoenix Suns, probably one of our favorite franchises over the last couple of years. Yeah, talk about a lot of damaged people. That's true, the <laughs> Phoenix Suns. Um, Andrew, the Open Floor Globe came through for us in a big-time way, and we want to encourage them to constantly email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. You and I are headed to All-Star Weekend uh, this week, and I'm sure we're going to do a live podcast there in Charlotte, probably from like Michael Jordan's private cigar room, something along those lines, I would imagine, given our incredible hookups and uh, you know our, our influencer status. But if you have All-Star questions, uh, playoff run questions, anything like that, bring it to us at openfloormail at gmail.com. Also, Andrew, they can check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. Scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. We're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor. And don't forget at Ben Doc Oliver on Instagram for this week's lantern segment. It's coming up. I cannot wait. Andrew, until later this week when I will see you in Charlotte, North Carolina, my first visit ever to that beautiful state. I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy.